the subject for the evening talk is heart of the matter. While um, Henrietta was giving the talk uh, yesterday evening here, I was making my uh, Wednesday evening um, pilgrimage to uh, Cambridge, Mass, to give the talk at the CIMC, the Cambridge Insight Meditation Centers uh, there. And while traveling uh, by car there, I picked up a couple of those, uh, of those two magazines, Time and Newsweek. And in having a look at them, there has been quite a lot of discussion, political debate taking place along the, the theme of values and the concept values <laughs> and family values seems to be the current buzzword uh, at the present time. And when I uh, arrived there, I thought it might be a little useful to speak on, on, the, on the theme of uh, values and fa family values. And I think in just as a very general observation in terms of our relating to life, that sometimes we have been told and have been encouraged very, very much to concentrate on our individuality. And this concentrating on our uh, individual self is such which must take the high priority and to some degree we have subscribed to this and so that life, as it were, flows around ourself. What matters is in relationship to what I receive or what's in it for me. And this may express itself, of course, in our day-to-day -day life, both in gross and in subtle ways. Sometimes the extension of that is gain or moved a little bit further and it is more in terms of the immediacy of the family and of course we know that there are a great number of significant and invaluable uh, insights and reflections and written pieces and forms of counseling which take place which discuss the problems and the issues of the individual, of his or her life, not only in relationship to oneself as an individual, but also in relationship to the immediacy of close family members who are around us. And we have become aware with some of the alienation and difficulty which accompanies it, we have become aware of the differences which may separate us one from each other. But whether we look at upon ourselves in, in, in exclusively individual terms, or whether we look upon ourselves uh, through the eyes of our close one or loved ones, family, it's still a rather 
encircled view of life and I think all too often it doesn't really consider in, a, in the more fullness of things and much of the themes and explorations which have been and are taking place uh, during these days here together is in a way to question if not actually dissolve the kind of uh, structures which we have upheld with our inner life which have a certain tension to them so that we can discover and realize in quite fresh and unmistakably uh, different ways. Taking the family just for a, for a moment and family can be of course and include those who live close to us. It, uh, it can and does include uh, members who people who share the same blood together, but particularly with those who live close to us. I think itself is an unfortunate contemporary concept because it lends itself immensely to much isolation and I think also considerably it's an economic unit as well. There is much profit to be made in the construction and the fixation of the view family. People then are obliged to buy goods individually or for that small unit, the highlighting of values exclusively uh, through that sets up and generates within us a certain kind of image of family. And one of the standardized ones is a man and a woman with, as I said I think in the talk last night, 2.2 children, this was the standard. I've frequently met the two and have not yet met the point two, but I'm sure. And this is in fact a very small minority of householders. In Britain, as an example, I think it, that today it's only 11% of householders are in fact husband and wife and two children. So the whole temper, the whole structure, the formation of householder's life, apartment life, however we might des describe it, has changed quite considerably. That change also affects our life considerably, the way that we perceive and look at life. And one of the things which does occur for men and for women in exploring our relationship to life because the concept of family is so strong as a social idea, frequently men and women speak to myself and speak to each other, of course, about issues about family. Either from what was past, and some tastes that has meant and necessitated exploration and reflection and work, but also and equally the whole idea of family, of starting a family. To some degree, one would ask oneself, is it just a biological uh, uh, imperative which seems we seem to believe in, of which I have a great deal of doubt, of course, or is it that we have a model, we have an idea based upon the past, based on our own past, of, in some cases, a very happy and satisfactory and nourishing so-called family life from our early 
childhood, and therefore there is some wish, there's some need, there's some conditioning, in fact, to wish to repeat that. Or, in some other cases, it's that the memory is unsatisfactory of a difficult home life, and therefore one wishes to have a experience, a happy uh, family life, in which the role of oneself has gone from being a son or a daughter to being a mother or a father. And this issue quite often is a very concerned and disturbing issue, issue for people, and sometimes it, the disturbance is actually accelerated by spirituality. And many a person will, will say to uh, myself or uh, to uh, other, other persons, you know, I really have a lot of thoughts about becoming a parent, about getting married, about starting uh, a family and entering into that. But, you know, I won't be able to do retreats. This is a classic one-liner. <laughs> Could be a blessing. <laughs> and, and these thoughts and feelings arise about, give, about the present in relationship to the future, and sometimes that thought and those feelings with regard to the future carries with it a kind of idealized position around the concept family. And with that idealization that can take place, it can be something which is attraction and something towards which there can be immense amount of ambivalence. And that can occur for men and women in their teens, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. It's not something which is defined as such by age, as such. And so in the relationship to time and in the relationship to future, what's the relationship to the concept, the notion of family? And I say that it's one of those structures of life which need to be looked at and examined with great care. And I think as the Buddha rather succinctly said on one occasion, it's far more significant in life to increase one's understanding than to increase one's circle of relatives. <laughs> That is a, a direct quote. <laughs> so, the word itself tends to carry, for all of us, of course, because we have gone through babyhood, childhood, and into adulthood, a great number of connotations. And just as there can be a great number of connotations about entering into the family life and all that that means, Similarly, that role rises and also it passes. And in its passing, it can create just as many challenges as it, as it goes away. We heard a very good example yesterday from Jose. His son got married in uh, Argentina, 8,000 mile, miles away. And it's a, a symbol of something, of a new step, obviously, in the son's life. And, it's, and it has whole new meanings for Jose and others of you uh, here as well, similarly. So the rise of the role takes place. It has a primary activity for a period of time. It falls in, a, in another period of time. Sometimes starting on the journey raises questions. It certainly raises 
questions right through it, and, <laughs> and then it raises another whole set at the end of the function of the role. What's the difference? <laughs> so sometimes we have a kind of deceptive, a kind of false, in a way, imagination that takes place that by having a family, starting a family, joining uh, a, f a family or whatever, that somehow that will make a real difference to our life. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And particularly unfortunate is when the questions are raised within the person and one asks about these things of oneself and, and says, well, you know, what will happen to my practice? What will happen to my spiritual values? What will happen to retreats? Or whatever it might be. None of that has to be interfered with one iota. But I do say to look at the, the latent tendencies in some cases towards present and future and this whole construct of family. It can be uh, an imprisoning bubble, this particular concept. Sometimes, in looking at that, still emotional, psychological level here for the moment, sometimes we highlight, of course, the past, which has been uh, referred to in one of the talks earlier during the retreat. Sometimes we highlight also the problems that can manifest through the interrelationship of events. That means what's happening in the, in the present. Sometimes we see the, 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 the links, the influencing tendencies that construct past and present together. But I think sometimes also what is overlooked and it's becoming uh, of increasing interest and uh, awareness is the environmental situation in which we live. And rather, less attention is given to the way the environment that we participate in is influencing our life. To take uh, uh, one or two uh, examples here. Sometimes a person says to themselves or to another, oh, I love being in the nature. I love being outdoors. I love being in the environment. And so two people decide to go away for a weekend and to be out of the city for a period of time. All well and good. But what can very easily occur, in fact, is that the entire weekend is spent talking, um, watching TV, um, imagining, um, playing some game or whatever is the focal point of interest and the two people or more family come back after the weekend and say, oh, we had a lovely weekend in the countryside. In fact, they never saw it. They never had time, <laughs> spent so much time reading and talking and daydreaming and fantasizing that the poor nature never got an opportunity to get through the eyes and ears to register the environment. So actually being in the environment, exposure to the nature, does require minimally from us 
an awareness of its presence. <laughs> there are some people who have not yet realized they are living in this world. And part of the, I'm serious here, the part of the waking, waking up is to that. Similarly, in our everyday life, our so-called home life, our, our working life, it's very, very easy for the mind to be living in its construction, in its idea of home, in its idea of the environment, of the immediate circumstances around. And then there's a kind of uh, wall which has is, which is been established in which the actual contact with the environment is very, very minimal because the habitual patterns are so strong. We hardly know where we live. We hardly know what is around us. We hardly know the influence of the absence of contact. We can have plants in our home which we never see. We can have the sky above which we never notice. And also we don't notice the way that the world around us keeps impacting on us. It's extremely easy to live in an organizational world and believe that is the world. It's extremely easy to live in an administrative environment and think that is the real nature of the environment. It's extremely easy to live in just practical, agreeable, day-to-day -day things and think that is the truth of things. But we're living in a bubble this way. And when we're living in that kind of bubble, we actually get more and more removed from our environment. We lose the intimacy with it. So when we walk on the earth, we say, walk on the earth, please, please walk on it. Please feel that contact. And it's that losing of contact with seeing, losing of contact with hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. The loss of that contact means that the mind shrivels, the heart shrivels around one or two things in life or a handful of things, usually called family, usually called job, usually called studies, usually called unemployment, usually called my home. It's a shrunken existence. It's an ongoing human tragedy because a human being feeling shrunk into that will rebel will feel anxiety, will feel trapped, will feel despair, will feel absence of worth. Because it's a shrunken mind, a shrunken life. And I say that shrunken life is because we don't know there is an environment. And it takes some uh, determination and it takes some wholehearted commitment that we, we shake the comfort and, and the discomfort of these walls that we have put ourselves into. In all, in all of that, in living in our world, in connecting also with our environment, in, in the, the, the spirit and the willingness to actually uh, question some things which we, uh, which we take for, for granted. In this case, I'm uh, speaking of the concept of 
family and how restricted and alienated that can be if, we, if we're locked into that way of thinking. That in the examination of all of that, then we might say what we begin to taste of, what we begin to touch of is a kind of sense of the bare elements of life. They're in a very rather simple, rather undistinguished way. We're not concerned with those, so much with those things which we lose ourselves into, the work and the studies and the prayers of the past and the future and the things of the present. We're not, not, we know that's, that has its place, but it's relative and it's useful, but some kind of bare elements of life, not quite tied in with that, begins to register for us. Just the, the simplicity and the rather the purity of just observing, just witnessing life, just listening to the sounds of the day. It doesn't matter where or what. Just feeling our, our being on the earth, feeling this kaleidoscope that occur, takes place in, inside of us, seemingly and quite often without any obvious rhyme or reason to it. And sometimes all, all, all of that, you know, it, it, it shakes us up a little bit. Sometimes we, we really need that being shaken up a, a little bit more. Shaken up in a way which says, well, my old fixations really have nothing to do with the finding of truth, finding of something which is of another dimension and order altogether. When that occurs, then we might say in that, ah, but then the heart has to have a place. What is the place of heart? Heartfulness, to be a heartful human being. And, of course, mindfulness, which we hear so much in facilities like this, in a way, ought not in any way to be distinguished from heartfulness. When we say, let's be mindful walking, we're also saying simultaneously, let's be heartful walking. When we're experiencing, let's, let's heartfully be in touch with what's, what is, heartfully connected with the breathing. So heartfulness, mindfulness, and really the, the, the same communication which is taking place. That communication we begin to say, is being in touch with the heart, the heart of the matter. When we, if we're going to come down to some very bare elements of spiritual life, is that what we really wish to come to? And we see that sometimes quite spontaneously, without, not because of tension, as we were hearing today in the inquiry, not because of old uh, pressures suddenly being released, but sometimes quite spontaneously, organically, heart really zooms into consciousness, feeling an incredible sense of, of the heart, strong feelings, compassion, love, gratitude, empathy, intimacy, and sometimes a very powerful, touching way. But sometimes, of course, we feel the heart as, as well when we are shaken up, particularly in whatever way that may be, which is quite disturbing. We say, yes, even when the um, heart is in an unpleasant mode for us, sometimes that also we need to experience as well. 
in that, particularly in its pleasant mode, when the heartfulness is arising and the intensity of the feelings that come with over, whatever the trigger might be, is it that we are seeking to stay steady in that? Deeply heartful, deeply in that place. And sometimes, as here and on other retreats as well, you have participated and shared and hopefully enjoyed the um, loving-kindness meditations. And those loving-kindness meditations provide us with a heartful sense of life. And one feels, hopefully, warm and, and caring so that the distinguishing of oneself from other beings through the heartfulness is actually reduced. That the heart, in its spiritual sense, it tells us in a very active way, it reminds us, it assures us through its own conviction that you and I, you and the environment, I and the environment, I and the creatures of life are connected and I know it through my experience and my experience is called the heart. It tells me, it tells me that love matters in life, compassion, joy, it matters and I feel it, it matters and I, and I like this experience, I enjoy this experience, I, I appreciate its feeling, its presence. And we say that we connect and I'm sure uh, agree and empathize with that. So quite understandably, when that feeling is there and we are touched in that way, short-lived as it might be or sustained as it might be, we could then begin to feel and begin to think and believe. Spiritual life is all about being grounded in the heart as the most worthwhile and, and sustainable and precious form of human experience. And therefore, from that place of the deep heart, you and I and others can be of most value in this world, of most service in this world, of most wisdom in this world, through the instrument called the heart, through being a heartful, caring person. And the tradition, spiritual traditions, of any persuasion which have any depth to that. One will hear that in numerous ways. The man of uh, Nazareth asked, what is the primary purpose of life? To love thy neighbor and to love God. In same statement, heartfulness as a primary, as a primary mode of being in the world. But from our experience, from our day-to-day -day life, we don't see, we don't perhaps have any models, we don't know of any person who we have any regular and sustained contact with who is consistently a heartful human being, who is consistently loving, who is consistently grounded in her or his heart. And we see that thus, in a way, it's a kind of idea, almost a thesis in a way, which says, yes, I want to be grounded in the heart, and that's really the sign of a conscious and caring existence, a wise existence, yet it doesn't seem possible because I don't see the evidence for it. And so sometimes we experience, and it's one of the difficulties of 
spiritual life or investigative deep, deep life is moments and times when the heart isn't present. Those moments and times, in fact, to all intents and purposes, may be a significant part of our daily life because of the kind of work that we do, because of the way that we are living. And some people in this hall here and in numerous other situations as well are engaged in day-to-day activities which is much more theoretical. It's much more organizational, it's much more uh, cerebral, it's much more of having a job, whatever the mode that it might be. Or it's just that what a person says to themselves, I, this sense of the heart, feeling of the heart, you know, I feel too much to be an intellectual. I, I feel I don't have enough access to that. I would love to experience that. I'd love to be grounded, but I've done all these meditations. I've done all these practices all over the years. Frankly, it, it hasn't made a difference. I am who I am, and therefore, I am an intellectual. And those, thus, they can come through that or through uh, a sense of distancing from heartfulness. The, the view that can take place, well, when I'm not heartful, then I feel a gap. I feel a distance, a distance from other human beings. I don't know how to bridge this distance, that distance maybe from the person that you live with, or it may be from a group of people or whatever. And when I feel a distance from them, then I am very prone and I'm very likely to be forming judgments about that person. I'm very liable to be hostile, resentful. Uh, It sparks sparks in me revenge. It It sparks in me aggression and anger and negativities. And I fuel that. And that's what seems to emerge when I'm not heartful in the way that I was just describing. So then we find ourselves sometimes, as it were, oscillating backwards and forwards between being heartful and the caring reverence for life, between being a gap and negative or uh, judgmental in particular ways, or just simply bland. Just bland. Just day by day, a kind of ongoing dullness which takes place. And we say to ourselves, it's because I'm not heartful enough. And being heartful is the heart of the matter. And I say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if being a heartful person is the heart of the matter. And I think perhaps both culturally, in some music, in, uh, in the arts, in, in various forms of creativity, so much of it seems to revolve and center around L-O-V-E. It's got an, an immensely, uh, I feel, exaggerated place. And this exaggeration of love in life, the exaggeration of it means that we carry individually an idea about what it is and then we measure ourselves through this idea. 
we become a prisoner to the idea of love, trapped in it as much as being trapped in the idea of family. And so when we have this, uh, carry this package of the idea of love around with us, we then we measure. And the usual measurement is, I'm not loving enough. It's usually, there's not many, too many people who will say, I've got too much love. <laughs> some, some do. It doesn't last long. And, <laughs> and it's usual, the usual cry, the war cry of human beings having been saturated with this particular concept is that it's grasped hold of by self, by ego, and then we feel, I'm just not giving enough, I'm not loving enough, I don't have enough love, and, uh, and all the reactivity that comes to it. And one might have to ask oneself in a, in a direct and bold way, am I prepared to drop love from the spiritual life? Am I prepared to forget this? Am I prepared? prepared to go in an in a unfamiliar way, to go into the areas which is a little bit more unknown and untouched territory. So untouched, in fact, that it's not actually the heart which is the heart of the matter. And then sometimes we say of this and we experience with, with this, what does that mean? Where, where, where do I go? With, with heartfulness and with uh, the, ex- the experience of it, which is confirmed very sweetly, very beautifully, by, is confirmed by a feeling. And the feeling confirms a connection, and along those visible lines of connection, people with that heartfelt feeling, that heartfelt connection, it, it can be a wonderful resource for doing beautiful things in this world. And we do know, when we do experience beautiful and kind people who are doing majestic things for life. And they're coming, we might say often, or they think they are coming, coming from heart, coming from love and generosity. And it presents, particularly perhaps in our time, a, a stark and a revelationary contrast to the culture which says having is more important than being, gaining is more important than giving, accumulating is more important than sharing. And when a person touches their heart in the way that you and I might be speaking of, then if we're talking about turning around consciousness and facing the other direction, then it's then the concepts of having, gaining, getting and acquiring begin to be sacrificed as the signal, the heart signal that a turnaround is taking place in our life and therefore being and giving and sharing become the expression, heart's expression of a turnaround. And that requires not only the, the, the sacrifice which is an integral feature of spiritual life. Not only does that require renunciation, which is still today an integral feature of spiritual life, but it's a turning one's back on all that was. 
so that we can see the world, see the environment, which includes those who are near and far, with really fresh eyes, because one has said to oneself, I am not going to be living my life engaged in having and gaining and acquiring. I'm not going to live this way because there's no fruit in it. And we say, sometimes we say to ourselves, that, that comes from the heart. But I wonder, does the heartfulness, does being grounded in the heart, is the heartfulness able to do that? I don't think it can. I don't think that kind of change around of consciousness that it turns the other direction can come from the heart. And what I would say is that the heart is a response to that turnaround. It's not a heartful event that takes place. It takes place somewhere else, and that somewhere else is something mystical, something unknown and, and yet tangible. And therefore, what emerges out of the heart comes from something else which is not heart. And therefore, the heart is the, is, is the child of that something. That something which is mystery and best left unnamed. So, I say therefore, let's not be too concerned. Let's not be too worried about being in touch with our feelings. Let's not be too worried about going deep into our mind. Let's not be too preoccupied with uh, being grounded in spiritual life. Let's not even be too concerned about being here and now from moment to moment. Those things have a validity, they have a, a usefulness, an applicability for, for sure. But all of that in a way has got to just let it fall into place. So the sense of something which you and I cannot not really get our hands on. It's like something has to <coughs> do it for us. Something rather strange about it. So it has to, to do it for us. Like somebody said to me today that their friend has uh, an interest uh, um, has decided to participate uh, later in the year on the three-month retreat at, uh, here at IMS. And as a number of you will know, the three-month retreat has been taking place every year from uh, September through to December since the facility started some, uh, um, some 17 years, years ago. And the general kind of conception that we have with such a, a period of, of time, as with any other period of time. person would say, I'm going to do this three-month retreat. And normal uh, response and description. And when the person told me, my immediate re re response was, hopefully the person isn't going to do this three-month uh, retreat, but rather the retreat is going to do them. It's that, it's that kind of 
of, of, of sense. That the participation in the wholeness of things, everything happens through that. It doesn't happen through individualism. It happens through the wholeness of things. The turnaround is through the wholeness of things. The, the realization of that which is just mystical, mystical, is through the wholeness of things. It's not through you or through me or through anyone. And thus, when, when, we, when, we, when we see that our life is changed, when we see that the heartfulness is showing, when we see that sometimes the heartfulness is showing, but it's not that we've become alienated, it's not that we've become, there's a gap has formed. We just are wise. We are wise that sometimes the heartfulness is showing and sometimes the heartfulness isn't showing. But it's not like a gap in which all the conflict can arise. We just know that's the way it is. And when that change, as I spoke of, has taken place, and therefore having and getting and gaining has, has been transformed into sharing and being and all that goes with it, we, then we know we've been touched. It's not a matter of you and I getting into something we call emptiness, something we call the truth, something we call reality, or what. Nobody has ever entered into emptiness. Nobody, <laughs> nobody has ever entered the truth. Nobody has been in God. Nobody has um, a fictional story made up by human beings. It's a conceit of the I. And yet mystically and wondrously and inexplicably for any human being, it shows what shows when one has been touched by what it shows. And this way, how is that? How is that possible? But we cannot reach, we cannot enter, we cannot get hold of, we cannot lay claims to, yet in that it has changed, and one is changed and changed once and for all. And one how, how, how did this? Therefore I say, this, what I'm just speaking of, is the heart of the matter. And out of that, the heart flowers like a lovely flower on a summer's day. May all beings explore the nature of things. May all beings be touched. May all beings live with wisdom. So we have a couple of quiet minutes, please.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.